and welcome to Mornings with Box 2 Radio, a broadcast that is centered around news and views, Bible Q&A, and special guests. Now get ready because it's time to scramble those eggs, brew that coffee, and open that Bible, and let's jump into Mornings with Box 2 Radio. Well, good morning out there in Radio Land. This is September 1st, 2023, and what a day the Lord has made. What a glorious day it is to be alive in the kingdom of God. We want to welcome you into Mornings of Box 2 Radio. It's a joy to be here on the Box 2 Radio Network every single weekday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. You can listen to the Box 2 Radio via 91.5 if you're in the Litchfield-Hardensburg area. If you're in the Highsville, Glasgow area, 91.1. And if you're in the Owensboro area, 98.3. You can also download our radio listening app, the Box 2 Radio app. That's available on Android or Apple. All you must do is go download Tidely Church app. Um, again, that's a Tidely Church app, not the Tidely Giving, but the Tidely Church app. T I T H E period L Y Church app. And then once you download that app, you'll be able to have a search bar and you just type Box Two Network, and there we are. You press change. You don't have to do all that again. You will have the Box Two Radio app. And for those who do not have the Box Two Radio app, of course, you can get that. Free of charge, costs nothing, and um, you'll have access to a prayer wall that we'll be praying for you, and then you can pray for others as well, that it's a community prayer wall right there. We have events tab, we got podcast, we've got listen live link, we got the call now, we got a Bible on there. It's a it's an awesome app. I praise God for the opportunity to have that. We always want to be um, growing in the kingdom of God and using every resource possible to expand the kingdom of God. Or you can also go to Box2Radio, that's the number 2 radio.com and listen live on the website as well. If you would like to engage or interact with the broadcast today, you can text me at 270-230-6337. Again, that's 270-230-6337. Uh, the Grayson County Fair is going on this week, so if you're going to go out there, be safe, be the light, and be an example for Jesus Christ in the midst of wherever you go. Wilson Home Tent Services on 54. Uh, they're not going to be in the church for a little while. They're going to be doing the weekends in the tent, so Saturday nights at 6.30 p.m. and then Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. That's right there by the cars on the pole on the way to on 54, right past, uh, I mean, right outside of Litchfield, right before you get to Grayson County Implements. Um, it'll be in that area right there on your right if you're heading towards Caneyville. September 4th, 12 noon, um, we're going to be eating at the Ref River Youth Ranch Cook-Off. Not the Cook-Off, Cook-Out. This one's the Cook-Out. Um, we're going to be eating there at high noon, 12 o'clock on Monday during the Labor Day. Um, come out, all's welcome. We'll usually get there, get out there around 11, 1130 and start hanging out in fellowship. And then we spend a little time after we eat, of course, playing cornhole, talking. Some people have some games. They go and look at the point it's just a beautiful awesome fellowship it's great harvest now crusades coming up september 10th 11th and 12th the sunday night begins at six the monday and tuesday night begins at seven uh, we want to invite you guys out to that it's going to be an amazing time in the presence of god equipping time an empowering time and we're going to see the harvest come in camp meeting um horse cave kentucky uh, that's going to be September 14th, 15th, and 16th. Uh, setting the captives free. Pastor Dwayne Kidd says that they're not releasing the names, from what I can understand, of the people going to be speaking because they want it to be a nameless and faceless thing. They just want you to come out and be set free, be empowered, be filled. 
Go have a great time in the Holy Spirit, empowering the body. And then Fall Shareth on gathering, gathering the Harvest, September 27th, 28th, and 29th is right around the corner. Amen. All right, Hannah, do you want to take us into the weather, verse of the day, quote of the day, and our guest for the day? Yes. So um, our weather today still looking good, um, partly cloudy and a low of 58. I just love 50. I think 58 feels great in the morning. I really do. Um, and then it says a high of 87, so it might get um, might get a little up there today. Um, and then our verse of the day um, is First Peter 5, 1 through 4. Um, and I'm reading from the New Living Trans- Translation. It's pretty easy to read. Um, so that reads, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord over it with Don't lord over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. So um, I picked that verse today because um, I just want to encourage all the pastors out there. Um, That's what we normally do that on Fridays is kind of give some encouragement to the pastors. And what a great verse um, to lead by example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. So can't wait for that day. Waiting every day, but also working in the meantime. So, um, And then our quote of the day, of course, we're in the middle of um, a lot of revival taking place, a great move of God. So um, our quote of the day is, If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the Word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's Word into our sermons. And that's Spurgeon again. I, I can't get away from him. So maybe next week I'll pick a new a new um, author of these quotes. But um, that's the quote for today. Um, and then, of course, we'll have Mr. Bjork on today. Um, and we can get right into John if we don't have anything else we forgot to announce. No, I think that covers it. We are in John chapter 19, and we have, well, we're almost finished with John chapter 19. We are close, ain't we? Um, Just a few more verses, and I think we're moving into John chapter 20. I did my math one time in high school. I got this (laughs) county thing down, but we are in John chapter 19, verse 41. I'm moving my way over here. Um, Let's see here. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving slow this morning, though. This 58 in the morning. It does feel good, but that makes your bed feel even better. Um, (laughs) All right, so now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in a garden, a new grave wherein never man yet laid. So this is a place, this this was a set-apart place. This was a grave that no man has ever laid in before. And there laid, they, Jesus, therefore, before, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the grave was nigh at hand. Um, and so he's ready for the grave. They're laying him there <coughs> and they prepared him. So now this, that finishes up basically the crucifixion part of it. Now we're going to get into the meat. Um, because here's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of people stop at the crucifixion. They really don't celebrate the resurrection, mm-hmm. but if you don't have the resurrection, you don't have the getting up. Um, 
And so his death made atonement, but his resurrection gets us up. And his resurrection gets us new. And Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So now we have the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the grave and seeth the stone taken away from the grave. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the grave and are out of the tomb and we know not where they laid him. So, you know, if you were in these shoes, Hannah, what would you think if you walk up to the grave or the tomb, the stones rolled away, and Jesus is, he's not even seen. He's hes not remotely seen. Like, I think she's on the... She's on the right logical track. Yeah, I mean... They took him. <laughs> yeah, you would, especially with how his death took place, you know, you, and how controversial it was, I would think that someone took him. Yeah. I mean, that's the only logical explanation to them at this point. Now, we have 2020 vision, so... We can kind of see exactly what happened, but these, they really didn't. And especially if you were operating on emotion, all of them were super emotional, I'm sure, after what just happened. So normally when you're operating in emotion, you don't think spiritually. Yeah. In my experience, um, we don't think in the spirit. We think more, you know, just worldly. So, but it makes sense. I mean, it's not like she was thinking irrationally. Like, that's the answer that would make sense, so... Oh, yeah, for sure it would. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's only common or it's only logical, excuse me, to say somebody's taken his grave. And this is what he's te- this is what she's telling the people that Peter therefore went forth. And that other disciple, um, which would have been John, and came to the tomb. So they ran together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came to the first to the tomb. So, man, I've heard a lot of preachers preach on this verse. <laughs> uh, Wait, so this is. The other disciple talking about John himself. Yeah. Yeah. He never called himself John. <laughs> but that's kind of funny. Uh, remember? So the other disciple outran me. Yeah. Uh, it feels like, I don't know. It feels like there's this like competition between him and Peter. I don't know if that's true, but. It does feel like that sometimes. Other people have said the same thing. Um, but, you know, John's like, you know, the disciple who Jesus loved, the other disciple, this, that. And then I do love how he points out that they both ran. <laughs> But John outran him. Like it's kind of funny. the other disciple, well, Peter was a little bit slower. Um, you know, <laughs> Peter, Peter just he didn't want it as bad as his other disciple did. The other disciple outran him. Um, that's you know I've heard that preached in a lot of different ways. Um, it could be too that John was just younger and faster. Like you, yeah. you know. Um, but I do see that both of them were eager. Both of them were concerned. Both of them want him. And this is the thing I love. Peter's there. Mm-hmm. Like I love that because. Jesus, you know, denying and betraying Jesus, yet, you know, he's still, le- I'm, I'm not giving up yet. I'm not, I'm not going to back up completely. I'm not running away completely. I think he was still dealing with some stuff because at this point, we really, now in other gospels and this synoptic, they talk about how, you know, the angels or, or Jesus does end up talking to the women first. Um, now this is where it gets a little bit parallel and we have to figure out what's going on. Did the women come back multiple times? Did they come back one time? Did they come back and just tell them, well, we're going to keep reading to see how this plays out in John. And before we get into a complete narrative, because you got to understand the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
They are called the synoptic because they are pretty much covering the same events, but a different perspective. Matthew covers him as Messiah King. Mark covers him as the servant. Luke covers him as the son of the man. But John covers him as the son of God. And John is a different kind of gospel than the other three. So the way John writes is different, and the way John lines up stuff may be from a different perspective, but it's still the same narrative. Mm-hmm. We just have to watch and see how everything plays out, and what happens, at all. it always plays out the same. There's never a contradiction. There's never anything like that. We always have a reason to believe and a reason to work out exactly the whatever looks to be seemingly contradictions between the four gospel is never truly a contradiction because the word of God never contradicts itself, which makes it one of the most phenomenal things is that you can have 40 book. I mean, you can have 66 books over 40 years, 40 different authors. I mean, over thousands of years with 40 different authors and still all fit together perfectly like a puzzle piece. Only God himself can do that. And so here they are, Peter and John's running to the tomb. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes laying, yet went in he not. Um, yet he did not go in. Then, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to switch over to the King James, New King James for a second. I've That's been, where I'm in. <laughs> I've been doing this a lot. I've been reading the King James quite a bit lately. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes laying there, there yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him. And went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes laying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not laying and yet with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, this is incredibly significant, the, handker- um, the handkerchief. Well, why? Why is it significant? Well, let me tell you. Because um, somebody taught me one time, so I'm not... I, I was taught, so I'm going to show anybody that doesn't know why the significance behind there. Peter and John, they get to the tomb. They stoop down. They're looking in, but they're not going in. You know, I understand. We'll be, I think it's like almost wisdom not going in. Because, well, if if they catch us in the tomb, they're going to think we did it. Or maybe they're just scared. Maybe they're freaked out. Maybe they're like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Like, there's a lot of different emotions that you could say went through Peter and and John. We just know John outran Peter because John wanted it more. Um, but whenever they look in and they see the handkerchief. Now, the linen clothes are there, which means the grave clothes got left. Because God don't make... Whenever God resurrects something, he never puts it, leaves the grave, uh, the grave clothes on. If you look back at Lazarus, when Lazarus got out of the tomb, what was coming off? The grave clothes. So they're significant in that, but the handkerchief is what we're paying attention to. And Jewish culture, if you left a dinner table... And you threw your handkerchief down. It's a statement saying, I'm not going to be back. Hmm. But if you folded the handkerchief, it's a statement saying, I'm coming back. Hmm. And so just culturally speaking, the fact that Jesus separated his handkerchief, folded it, left it over in the corner, was a statement to his disciples and his apostles that will become apostles. I'm coming back, guys. I'm coming back. I have not left you. Hang tight. I'll be right back. I think it's just cool how Jesus That's awesome. How Jesus does stuff like that over and over. Now, I think Peter, John, and them, they would have kind of seen this because it was cultural. Like, wait a second. He put his handkerchief, the thing around his head, but he put this down there and he folded it, John. Do you think that means he say, hold on, he'll be back? Like, 
they would have talked about that. I'm sure of it. Because they would know. Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. <clears throat> and so um, I think it's a... I just love Jesus because he's always doing stuff like this. He's always giving these great questions, these great leading points, anything like that. But then he's doing these actions too to give them some direction and guidance and peace. And doesn't God do that to us all the time still? Mm-hmm. Like he sends these little signs and these little... It's uh, like a little treasure hunt or yep. something. Like, like he gives these little clues or things. I think it's just awesome that he did it. Then the other disciple, John who came to the tomb first, I love that he's still talking about he got to the tomb first, went in also. I don't think I've ever, like, it just seems like he's talking so, trying yep. to, like, yep. I don't know, now, attention to himself. I do want to say that we forgot to say that at first they did not go into the tomb, and I think there was all those emotions. Then they eventually do go in the tomb. Um, now, that is important. They do end up going in the tomb because now Peter went first. So John got to the tomb first, but then he's like, Peter, you go in. Um, You know, Peter, you go in first. And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For yet they did not know the tomb that he had re- must raise. Ag- I mean, the scripture know the scripture that he must raise again from the the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So that little scene whole played out like this: Peter, all right. So Mary Magdalene gets to the tomb first. She sees that he's gone. She runs back to the disciples. Now. I think it's important to remember and, and and just take note of the disciples are still together at this point. Like he, she knows where to find them. They're still gathering together. They're still being together. They didn't completely disperse. Now they seem like they kind of disperse a little bit whenever Jesus was being crucified the day be- a couple of days before. But at this moment, they're gathering back together because she knew where to find them all. But then you still see these leaders in the pack, Peter and John. And so Peter and John's run into the tomb. They're going to figure out what exactly happened. John outruns Peter, but then Peter goes in first. So maybe John being young, maybe John being exhausted in breath because Peter he beat Peter. There's a lot of different things that could have happened. We don't have exact evidence of why John beat Peter to the tomb, but then Peter was the first one to go into the tomb. But Peter goes into the tomb, John, and then sees the handkerchief. John goes in, he sees, and what's he do? He believes too. Like, they're trying to get belief in him. Like, it actually says that, that he goes in and believes. Well, what's he believing? That Jesus raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not even having to see Jesus this time. They just believe. Whereas somebody else, like a Thomas, they're struggling to believe. And it just shows you where everybody's on their own path. Well, Mary is struggling to believe, too. Because she don't really know she what happened really to the body. Know. Yeah. But... Here's what I think. Here's one of the reasons I think that Peter and John was able to believe. They saw the handkerchief laying there folded. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of significance in that, because if the body was stolen, if the body was stolen, it would have been erratic. Just throw everything. But the fact that Jesus took time to fold his handkerchief, they're believing. Like he saw and believed. And then in verse eleven, but Mary, go ahead. Sorry, did you say something? Well. We can read the next part, but I was reading ahead, and it seems like they wouldn't have told... Well, let's read it, but it seems like they wouldn't have told Mary after this. I mean, it doesn't, oh, they it doesn't say you don't, that they did. You don't, oh, that they didn't run back and tell Mary. Yeah, 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 okay, I got you. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she sw- she went... Oh, my goodness. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. 
And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had laid. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when they, she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So she really doesn't understand wow. either. Mm-mm. But yet Jesus and his she's mercy. Deeply, like she's really, really upset about it. Yeah. Like you would think that the first thing that she would say would be like, whoa, who are you? Like to the angels, you know, yep. but she just like answered him. Yes. Um, and then she's supposing him to be the gardener said to him. Now, why would she suppose to him to be the gardener? Well, I feel like this. I Now, again, we're having to we you have to piece some things together every once in a while. And this is where it's important to sit back and think about everything and contextualization. The high priestly garment, which Jesus become our high priest, would have looked similar in some times to a gardener garment. And I believe that she perceiving him to be the high priest, I mean the gardener, because he was where he would have been wearing his white robe or something to that extent. Or maybe she thought, um, well, you're here in the tomb, in the garden tomb, so maybe you're just taking care of things. Maybe you were responsible. But also I think it's significant to say this, at the very least, she didn't recognize Jesus because there was such a transformation from the time he died to the time he resurrected. Because even though I believe supernaturally he had scars on his hand, his holes in his hands and his feet, because Thomas put his put his finger in, you know, the holes, I don't think he looked remotely anything like he did whenever he was beat, flogged, bloody, nasty, everything else. I believe he had an extraordinary change from the corruptible into the incorruptible, the immortal into the immortal. And I believe his appearance had changed so much. It had to have because she would have known what he looked like yes. on the earth before he was beaten. Yep. You know? Yeah. I do wonder about that. Like his, what changed? His appearance changed. Somehow, some way, his appearance changed. Now, Perry Stone's the one that postulates that he looked like the gardener, but he was really dressed in the high priestly robe. But yet, mm. if you piece it all together, I, I believe that there was an extraordinary change in the appearance from the time he died to the time he resurrected. And here's what's amazing. Here's, this part, next part's going to get really good. But Jesus said to her, Mary. So Jesus looks at her and says, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, or which is to say teacher or rabbi. I I love it that like even though she didn't recognize him and she thought he was a gardener, maybe she never even turned around. It seems like that. Maybe she never even turned around. Like we really don't know. Like we are sometimes just trying to piece all this together. And I'm just there's so many people preach this different ways. I've heard it preached so many different ways. Maybe his I think his appearance drastically changed. I really do. Um but she may not have turned around though. But she may never turn around. It never said that she did before it said she turned. But I do love this. That as soon as he said her name, she knew. She knew. Why? Because his sheep know his voice. And plus he had said her name before, right? Yep. When they first met. Mhm. 
Yeah, uh, called her name then. Miss Gail says Mary was probably crying pretty intensely and her eyes probably didn't focus very well, which it, that could be another that could one too. Be something. Yeah. Somehow, some way, this is what we do know. Mary really didn't recognize him. Whether mm-hmm. she had not turned around and, you know, maybe she heard somebody walking up and thought it was a gardener. She obviously was emotional because it said she was yeah. weeping. So we do know that what, regardless, either, I mean, he had to have looked different. Yeah. But we can't blame her for not recognizing him because if you're weeping that much and you're intensely grieving, I mean. Yeah. If I had to make my best guess, like this is my best guess from calculating everything that was going on with Mary. I think Mary was sitting on the tomb and out of her peripheral, somebody walked into the tomb. Mm. I don't think her back was to him because if if she's weeping about them stealing his body and her back's turned and somebody walks in the tomb, I think that sparks a little fear. It's like, oh, who's here? All right, but if she's sitting there, like if she's sitting here and y'all can't see me in the studio, but I'm sitting here and I can see Hannah in my peripheral. So I know she's not a Roman soldier or something like this. But I think Mary's probably sitting there weeping. Out of her peripheral, she notices somebody, and they're dressed in a white cloth. And well, it does say in verse 14 that we read, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I think she can, like, I think she can kind of see. Like, I think she's kind of mm-hmm. seeing everything peripherally, kind of out in the corner. But yet, I actually think probably Miss Gale has some truth to her, too, on yeah. that. That she's just weeping. She can't really see it. Well, it says... Okay, sorry, I'm just trying You're to like, get a mental picture of all this because it helps me to visualize it. So it says that the angels were in the tomb. Yep. yep. But then it says, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. So Jesus wasn't in the tomb, right? Because if she was looking at the angels in the tomb, then she turned and there was Jesus outside of the tomb. Well, at that point, let's see here. Now we're, all right, so she stood outside the tomb weeping, and she wept and stooped down and looked into the tomb. So maybe Mary wasn't in the tomb. Yeah, it looks like Mary's outside looking Mary's in, not in the tomb. And then the angels are in there. Yeah, and the two angels were sitting, one at the head and one at the feet. Yes, that's where we're at. And then Jesus comes in the scene. Then she turns around, saw Jesus standing there, Um but Jesus is not in the tomb either. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the the angels were in the tomb. She was looking there, and then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? But she didn't really, she doesn't seem to know his voice yet until she call, mm-hmm. he calls her name. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, yeah. And then. But I think that's good, though, because, or it, to me, when I visualize that, like, that he's out of the tomb because he's risen, you know? Yeah. But if. If his appearance has changed from the time they just buried him, somehow, some way, her eyes are kind of blurry, blurry from weeping. She's probably seeing everything out of her peripheral still to an extent, even though she's turning. Mm-hmm. Like, she's turning this way, she's turning this way, she's turning that way. I mean, if I had two angels here talking to me, then I had another <laughs> Jesus standing behind me, like, that's a pretty good conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I can really see why she was struggling with all this. But to me, the marker of all this is that when he said her name, she knew it. Yeah, that's the best part. Oh, my gosh. that's Man. I, I really do love it. Um, and let's finish this up real fast. We got I all wish this they would have put this part in the passion. <laughs> like, why? Yep. why did they not get to this part? 
And then Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended yet to my father. But go to my brother and say to them, I am sending to my father and your father to my God and your God. I love this. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. So now there is some people that say, do not cling for me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, that say that she was going to corrupt him or anything like that. That's not it. In the Greek, it's saying this, don't hold on to me. I still got a mission. I've still got to go. Don't cling to me. Don't hold me back. Because at this point, when she heard his voice, she probably fell at him fell on him like she's probably worshiping that she, makes me mad when people try to say that it makes me so there's mad. just no biblical precedence and if me touching jesus can corrupt everything he just did his blood's not that strong anyways amen but his blown his blood is strong enough to what purify me purify me and so there's just no biblical precedence and no biblical explanation to say that her touching him would corrupt his blood and he had to get his blood to the mercy seat before she touched it that's just to me, I don't, I don't understand that. What I understand is that he's telling her, you know, we still got a job to do. Mm-hmm. Don't cling to me yet. I'm not yet ascending to my, to my father. But then I love this because now he's telling this, I am ascending to my father and your father. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I have made a way for you to be his. And he's now giving her identity Um. You know, just like he said to the Pharisees and Sadducees that you don't know who I am because you don't know my dad and your dad's the devil. Now he's speaking to Mary Magdalene. Hey, look, I'm not yet ascended to our father. He's given her identity. He's given her like the the gospel, reconciliation, regeneration. Yeah. I have brought you into the fold, Mary. I'm going to go tell our father, our father. Wow. And so... Mary Mattingly came and told the disciples what she had seen. I just love, I love this. I love John chapter 20. Um, I think it's preached longer a lot of times. And I know I, they went through a lot more than we've went through, like in their life, like physically in their life. But sometimes I just wish I could be there because that would have been awesome. Well, I can honestly say I've never really dove deep into, I've always just thought of Mary as, you know, well, he just dressed different, looked different. But when you look at the whole story and really sit down and talk about it, there was probably this crazy conversation going and this whole, like, can't blame Mary for not recognizing because angels are over here, Jesus is over there. Who are you looking for? But yet, she can't recognize anybody. She don't recognize them at first because if she would have recognized Jesus as soon as he talked to her, I think she would have clung to him then. Mm-hmm. But, um, But the significant thing for me is when he said her name. Yeah. When he called her, she knew. Did you say you knew what it said in the Greek? Well, we have to go to break, but the do not cling to me. Um, We can look at, look at it during break. I've heard people teach on the Greek on that. Now, it's hard to say, like, I know what it says in the Greek because I can only trust what people teach on the Greek because I barely speak English. <laughs> um, But I think it's something to the extent of don't hold on to me. Don't weigh me down. Like, don't hold me back. Gotcha, um, gotcha. And so, which makes sense in a lot of ways. <clears throat> All right. Let me see here. Let's do. But even our... that was for her own good and everybody else's. Yeah. Um, he's got a mission. Friday question number one, um, sponsored by the Sicilian Bank. What was the name of the demon gave Jesus when he cast him out of the man in the region of the Gar- Gar- um, Gerasenes? 
Is it Garadine's? I don't know. That's what the paper says. I feel, like, that's, I feel like it's Garrison's is what. I don't know if that's Garrett. Let me look it up. Yeah. Well, everybody knows what I'm talking about there. But look it up. We'll talk about that. Um, we'll be right back here after the break on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. All right, we are back here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio. We have an answer for that trivia question. Brother Jim down from Magic got that correct. And it is the Garrisons in the King James, but the Garadines, I guess, Garadarines, Gatherines, Gatherines, the Gatherines or the Garrisons, depending on whichever version you're using. Pretty much everything else. I never really caught that before. I just always get said the Garrisons uh, from the King James, but it's Gatherines if you're looking at ESV and some of the other new translations. So, but I started to read about like they're actually, I'm pretty sure, two different locations. So I think the King James actually um, has it at a different location, but then those the newer translations that have went back and to the Greek, like translated it straight from the Greek, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that it was actually a different location. But I'll have to look more into that. Yeah, interesting. They were close, but the, and they were named similar, but they're apparently two different spots. So that's interesting for sure. But the answer is Legion. What was the man the demon gave Jesus? Legion, Mark five nine and Luke eight thirty. Um, those are the two spots they found in. They're found in. Um, also, this story would have been found in Matthew as well. But I think he called himself Legion in those two. And legion, if you interpret it correctly and you look into it, means that there was 2,000 demons in this person. Um, that's a lot of demons. Um, mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> but good job, Brother Jim. He's been he's been getting answers right. He just usually is one person behind, so he was making sure this time he got it in there, and that was on it. Who was it? Brother, Brother Greg? Jim, Brother Jim. Oh, Jim. Now, Brother Greg did. He did uh, call in, and he said he was trying to wait for uh, me to quit talking, but he lost it. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Which question do we want to do first? Well, we could start with the one we didn't get to because that yep. was from the other day. Um, um, the healing. Yeah. If you want to. Uh, might as well start with something difficult. Um, <laughs> does God want all people healed? I actually, I definitely think that God's desire is for people to be made whole. All right. I believe that God allows certain things, though, for a season sometimes um, to edify, to build us up, to mold us, to shape us, so that we could that we walk through something. Because James says it counted all joy when we face tribu- tribulations or trials, because it produces patience, and patience have a perfect course. We become mature ourselves. So I think the Lord allows, but I think initially His heartbeat. Now I think this is where it's a difference. His heartbeat is that we would be whole. Um, but then also, if we're if we're doing something to ourselves. I believe sometimes his hand of protection is removed, and I don't think that makes him a bad God. I think that makes him a good God because he's not going to bless our disobedience, and he's not going to bless our sin. And um, Now, is he good enough to help us out? Yes. But I kind of say this a lot. like um, If I do something that I know is hurting my body and the Word warns me against it, other Christians are warning me against it, yet I continue to do it, and then that repercussion happens to my body. Is it God's fault or is it my fault? Mm. And we want to blame God. Well, God wants me healed. Why am I not healed? Well, you're still doing that to your body. 
And in a lot of the areas, it can be a lot of different things. But, I mean, we know for sure that eating my kind of diet is not good for you. So if I end up with a situation, is it God's fault or is it my fault? Was it that God didn't want me healed and he just didn't answer his promise? Or is it that I ate so poorly that I'd affected my arteries? Yeah, and that the same could go with, um, you know, cigarettes, smoking, yes, things tobacco, that... Even tobacco, excessive alcohol, alcohol use, like all these things are players in this. All the things that our doctors warn us about and the Bible warns us about not not to you, do, not to do, you know, um, take care of our temple. Does that mean, though, that God doesn't want all people healed? No, I think his heart is for us to be made whole. But I don't think he's going to first and foremost bless our disobedience. And I don't think he's going to bless us and just be our sugar daddy that gets us out of the hook. Because I think really when people, a lot of times when they ask these kind of questions, it's if God wants me healed, I can do whatever I want. And then I can, you know, mm-hmm. just ask him for healing because he wants me healed. Now, I do think he can deliver, you know, deliver someone from a issue. Say any of these things we're talking about is an addiction. Because mm-hmm. any of those things we just talked about can become an addiction. I mean, we can have an addiction sure. to like a certain food or something like that. Or any of those substances. And I think he could deliver and then we could... But when we get delivered from it, that means we're not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And well, heal us through us, our actions stopping what yeah. we're doing. So Now, I mean, have I seen God be good and heal people from the consequences of these? Yes, I have seen God deliver. I've seen God heal. I've seen God do all this. I'm not saying he's never going to. But the question on the table is, does God want all people healed? I think that God wants people whole. And I think that's why he came for us to be made whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think though that he, um, I think we have to use discernment when we're praying for healing. Oh, for sure. Because he wants all people whole, but not everyone's situation is the same and not, like we said, are working against God's will for themselves. And sometimes he's using a situation because, well, you remember the, the blind man in the gospels, they come up and said, you know, was it this man's father's? parents mother sin that causes man to be blind is his own sin that causes him to be blind and jesus said none of the above it was for the glory of god this man was born blind and so we've got to be careful to try to f- think we figured this whole thing out i think god's heart just like he wills all men to be saved that's his will he wants all men to repent and be saved but not all men are mm-hmm so that doesn't make his will of no effect. That means I believe what that's saying is his heartbeat is that everybody would come to Christ. Yeah. But does everybody come to Christ? And sometimes he has a plan, especially for believers. We know that we're already healed. Like uh-huh. we're we're made whole. Our spirit is made whole. So no matter what happens to us in this life, we yeah. get to hold on to that. So especially for believers, I see God using things that we go through, even in our bodies and things like that, testimonies to glorify him yeah because he's already gave given us that hope and that assurance that we're already made whole in in our spirit now if we could if we could unpack this a little bit on matthew matthew says in a couple places healing all manners of diseases healing that are all sick and oppressed matthew says that but then we find also in other places where jesus said he couldn't do many miracles because of their unbelief so does that mean that Jesus just prayed for everybody and everywhere he went, every person that was sick got healed? No, it doesn't. Because he actually tells us in Nazareth, Nazareth, he couldn't do many miracles because of their unbelief. 
Now, where he was at in Matthew, it seemed like there was a lot of belief, and he was doing miracles because people had faith. But yet, when there were lack of faith, actually, he could not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. You remember that? Jesus talking about that in Nazareth? And so mm-hmm. this is where I think we got to be careful at to understand that I think Jesus's heart is for everybody to be made whole, but he will not get around your disobedience and your unbelief and your lack of faith. And so it it's really never an issue of God's ability. Sometimes it's an issue of our faith. Sometimes it's an issue of um, God allowing certain things to take place at this time. Maybe there's so many things to unpack in this, but here's the thing I don't want you to do is... Every time you don't get healed, it is your lack of faith. That's not that is not either. So I think that's where we've got to have a balance and see scripturally what's going on, and trust Him. Have discernment, like Hannah just said, and um, <clears throat> and so I don't know. To me, I think this is a loaded question, and it's one of those questions that you just have to keep unpacking, unlayering, um, unpeeling the onion a little bit. Just keep peeling back layer upon layer. Because there's a faith question. There's a faith question in here. There's for the glory of God question in there. It's in the Old Testament we do have worse sins were passed down from the fathers in the sense the the fathers. There is situations where it looks like sin caused certain things. Mm-hmm. So like we have all of these things. So this whole question of does God want all people healed? And then there's also deliverance that has the spirit of infirmity in it. Yeah, attached to it. Um, and then there's also times where unforgiveness produces sick. I mean, like all of these things are in the scripture. So for me, it's a not one size fits all. Yeah. It's let's let the spirit show us yes. how to pray. And this is where it's really important to be in the word. But a lot of times, like I used to not really be, my eyes weren't open to this. So I didn't pray this way, but I've started to pray this way. Like, Lord, I'm asking you like, if it's in your will, please heal them. Like, because I want them healed. Like, I want everybody healed. But I'm like, Lord, if this is for a purpose that I can't see, yeah. then let your will be done. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important. Um, I try to pray that way a lot before I pray for a sickness, even if it's just to myself, before I step up to somebody and pray for them. What's your will, God? Like, what are you trying to, what are you, what are you accomplishing here? Because I don't want to pray against your will, for one yeah. thing. I want to pray in your will. And if we pray anything in his name, then it'll be mm-hmm. given to us. Whatever we ask will be answered. But if we're praying against the will of God and some people say, well, no, no, it's the will of God that all men everywhere, no matter what is healed. I don't think it's that kind of will. I think his will is that all men are healed because he desires for us to be made whole. He's a really good dad who gives really good gifts. It's and, like the plan of God. Yes. almost. We don't want to be praying against what he's doing. Yes. And we've got to, and you know, God, God answers at prayer three ways. Every prayer he answers three ways. Yes, no, or later. I mean, that's it. Like it's either a yes, a no, or later. Now there is another one that you could add if you do. Um, so I guess you could say four, um, if you quit sinning or if you quit doing this, or if you do this, or if you go jump in the Jordan, or if you do this, like, well, now you're doing works. no. No, our salvation's not contingent upon our works, but there's certain conditional statement for blessing in the scripture. Mm-hmm. We got to be careful not to apply this no work thing to everything in our life. That we are not saved by works, we're not kept by works. But there's certain things like reaping and sowing. But faith without works is dead. Yes. And if we're dead, then 
It, We're definitely not receiving blessings. We're definitely not moving anywhere in life. Yeah. So I could be saved but have very poor finances because I'm not learning the principles that God's given me in the, in the Word. And, you know, I think about that, and we all, like, struggle with different things, but I think about, like, how God looks at that and feels about that. You know, like, after we've... We are saved, but when we're being complacent yeah. or when we're not um, experiencing his goodness, like when we're just content where we are without, you know, working and, and making steps towards him and and basically just digging deep and seeing what's all available to us. Because I feel like he wants to, well, I don't feel, I know he wants to give us everything. Like he wants us to know his mysteries. He wants us to know what's available, but we'll never know if we don't, yeah. if we don't have works. And I think the issue here is like the fruit of the spirit is things he's working in us because mm-hmm. they're by the spirit. They're being produced. You cannot be, a, you cannot not be attached to the vine. You can't. Okay. Let me make sure I'm wording this right. If you're not to attach to the vine, which is Christ, the, then you will not produce fruit. All right. You will not produce fruit. Fruits coming from Jesus. You don't, you don't even earn fruit. Like I don't earn peace. Everything given to me for life and godliness has been provided for me. Mm-hmm. So peace and rest. Jesus has paid for those. But then there's these conditional statements in the scripture. If I give cheerfully, if I do this, uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face um, and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven. It's that if and then. Those are conditional statements of things that he's going to do in the earth, he's going to do in our life. Now, you know, it's not so much like that, like I'm not looking for peace. God's already given me peace. But then we can get into the aspect of, yes, God's given me peace. But if I do something intentionally to mess up that peace, mm-hmm. I've messed up that peace. And I need to ask God to restore that peace. And I need to ask God to fix whatever in my heart or fix or repent of anything in my life that is doing that. Again, these are not salvation issues. Like, Everything pertaining to me being saved and born again, that's been completed. That's done. All things pertaining to life and godliness has been accomplished. The gospel has been fulfilled. My life, everything pertaining to me that needs to be completed for me to be born again, that's that's no works involved. That's just me getting there saying yes. Mm-hmm. But to and even the the price paid to have peace has been paid. But if I actively work against that peace, or uh, just or just give the peace away. Yes. Give it up. Um, brother Gerald Texan, we missed Brother Gerald this morning. Him and Brother Denny was not able to come in this morning. Brother Gerald wasn't feeling well, but um saying good job. Sorry he couldn't be here, but we are doing fine with it. Well, I we miss you, brother. We would much rather have you here. Um Brother Greg says, Does God want everybody to be healed? I would answer that by saying he wants us all to be conformed to the image of the Son. Amen. I just think it's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. And and again, I'm not working to be saved, and I'm not working to stay saved. I say that everything needed to walk out this Christian life has already been paid for. But if I'm actively working against it, or if I'm doing something contrary to what God has said in His Word, He does not overlook our disobedience. Mm-hmm. And our disobedience will have consequences. Like, it, like if somebody paid for a a nice house for you or just a house if somebody just bought a house free of charge just you accepted you know like i'm just thinking of you know a real life example and you have this house and you're living in it but then you start just tearing it up (laughs) 
like you start just like letting it get a wreck, like tearing up that like the outside of it, you're not taking care of it. That person who gave you that probably isn't going to be giving you more things yep. to add to that house. He can't or more blessings. He's not taking back the house. Your house is still yours. The house was a free gift. Yes, but more and deeper things, and when you need. You know, I'm not saying that God's never going to be there to help us, but if just like the verse with when he can trust us with little, he can trust us with more. Yeah. I mean, this is really a question of stewardship more than anything. This is not a, well, if I mess up the house, he's taking back the house because he don't like me no more. That's not the question. That that, wouldn't be a gift. It's the stewardship. But if, if he can't trust us with the house that he has given us, how can he give us more? And please don't make that as prosperity because that's not what I'm going after. If he can't trust us with this piece, how can he trust us with more? Or if he can't trust, trust us with this much revival, how can he trust us with more revival? If he can't trust us and we're not steward over the little, how can he trust us to steward over the lot? Mm-hmm. And really for me, it's a question of, you know, I want the Lord to be able to trust me when he puts something, you know, in my life to steward over well. Yep. And, and the house was just an example, but really the, if we know the Lord's heart, we know that the temporary things in this life actually aren't the biggest treasure. Mm-hmm. He's the greatest treasure and he's not going to give us, show us more of who he is when we are working against it. Yeah. That makes sense. If we're not seeking it, we won't find it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but the question before we go to break, does God want all people healed? I think his heart is for all people to be healed, but his definite will I'm not for sure if everybody's been healed right now. All right. And here's because I think you have to unpack. I mean, we are going to pass away. Now, do we have to do we have to die sick? No, I don't think that's in the cart. I don't think that's in the in the fine print anywhere that you have to be sick to die. I've met a lot of saints that just went on like they just peacefully passed. They were not really sick. It was just their time. Um, Maybe they're just their time to, to go. Enoch walked with God and he was not like Elijah got taken up in the whirlwind kind of deal. Now, supernaturally, I think they had an exchange, but, you know, we, so I don't want to say we're all just going to be sick and nobody's ever going to be healed. I don't want that because then that's fatalistic and, um, a no, little, that's, that's, not that's not either, but. And ultimately at, it's up to God because yes. I mean, he can do whatever he wants to do yeah. and he knows all things. He yeah. knows our heart. He knows the situation. Yeah. I just find it more profitable to get in tune with what God's trying, what, what, not, what, it, not what he's trying to do, what he is doing. Yeah. And pray according to that. And I think mm-hmm. our prayer life becomes a lot more effective. I think God's heartbeat is everybody to be healed. But I think if you're working actively against or intentionally, or even if there's some kind of sin, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever it is, and then you're saying, why didn't I get healed? Why haven't I been in this? Why, why, why? Maybe you should be asking God for this one question before we go to break. Is there an inhibitor to my healing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there something holding up the healing? healing? Because again, I don't think it's not that God don't want us healed. There might be an inhibitor. There might be a reason. There might be a a plan. There might be something. God uses things such as sickness. God will use things such or allow such thing as sickness to produce something in our life sometimes. I'm not signing up for a lot. I'm just set with people who was confounded. And then sometimes there's things in our life that becomes an inhibitor or even comes a cause of the sickness. Mm-hmm. And if we're under if we're unwilling to repent, Jesus, let me just I keep on saying one more thing, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't want to be a liar, but break after this. I'm going to read a question after this statement. I'm done. We'll come back after. Jesus is not your genie in a bottle. He is not your genie in the bottle. Mm. And you don't just get to do whatever you want, rub the jar, ask him to bail you out, and then keep doing what you want afterwards. And we treat we treat Jesus like a genie in the bottle. 
and that's it. And it, and that's a shame because that's evil within itself. All right. Um, and so he's not, he's not Aladdin. He's not the genie on Aladdin. And, but I think that's how Christians want to treat him a lot mm. as a magical incantation that gets us out of the, the jam. I put myself here, help me out. And then we go right back to the mess afterwards. There's really not repentance. There's really not any change. There's just desperation not to be sick no more. And then we go right back because at the end of the day, we are, we do have the propensity to want the giver more than the gift. I mean, the gift more than the giver. We want the healing more than the healer. And I think that's always a dangerous life to live. Mm-hmm. Oh, Friday question number two, sponsored by Higgleland Survey. And that was a hard one to start out with this. Why can't we just do, how many days <laughs> we, of creation was there? Oh, I know. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, we're ending with the less weighty ones. <laughs> all right. Friday question number two, sponsored by this uh, um, Higdon Lane serving, surveying. Who gave Jesus a crown of thorns? We'll be right back here after the break on Mornings of Box 2 Radio You're on the Box 2 Radio Network. Box 2 Radio. All right. We are back here on this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day here in the neighborhood. Uh, we got an answer for the trivia question. Brother Joey Sosh got that correct, and it was a Roman soldier who gave Jesus a crown of thorns. He also sent me a um, <clears throat> a, a dad joke of the day. Uh, my wife is really mad at the fact that I have no sense of direction, so I packed my stuff and write. Up, up my stuff and write. Um, I'm trying to find that one out. My wife is really mad at me. Mad at the fact that I have no sense of direction, so I packed up my stuff and write. Joey, you stumped me on this. Do you get it? No, I'm trying to think. I thought at first I thought you said something about being right, but I don't know. Sense of direction, so I pack up my things. Joey's gonna have to explain that to us later. Yeah, I don't know. It's over our head. Over my head. If any listeners uh, know, chime in. All right, Miss Gail said, um, when Jesus raised uh, left and right. Left and right. I still don't get it. Miss Gail's trying to help me out. I still don't get it. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're struggling here. All right. Um, probably our brains after trying to figure out if God wants us all healed or not. We can't figure it out. Miss um, Gail said, when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, did he make the people go outside because of their unbelief or because it was a private moment? He made them go outside, according to Matthew 9, because they laughed. And um, if you remember, and it says they laughed, and then when he put the crowd outside, then she was able to get up. But whenever, actually, he kicked several out that day because they laughed, their unbelief, they snickered, and he wasn't having none of it. Because if you're really doing, like, you know, you don't need a bunch of unbelief around it. And um that's, I don't think it was a private moment. I think it was because they laughed and that they had unbelief. They weren't taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, let's see here. No sense. All right. So somebody's still trying to help us out. No sense of direction. So instead of and left. Oh, he said and right. So he packed up oh, his stuff and leaving, right instead of he... left. Oh, I get it now. Oh, it took listeners to help us. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we neither one of us got it, Lord. but I get it now. I get it now. They packed up their stuff and right None instead of, of packed up the stuff left. Um, <clears throat> He's getting into the the good ones now. <laughs> he got he got me. <laughs> All right, let's go into our second trivia question. I mean, second tr- question of the morning. Um, 
let's see. Let's do number three, and then we'll come back to number two. According to Matthew 12, 31 through 32, it looks like blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is restricted to spoken words. Is this correct? Um, actually, I talked about this yesterday in New Testament survey, um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, do you have that there, Hannah? Do you have those verses? Um, let me. I'm, I should have been there, but I wasn't. Uh, I got there. Okay. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, if you look at it, um, all of this comes after where they accused him of casting out what? Beelzebub, the prince of demons, by Beelzebub. Like they're saying, you cast out demons by demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. So this is where we start to see Jesus acknowledging two different kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And if Satan cast out Satan, is he divided against himself? How will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Or another translation, your exorcist. Um, therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder its goods unless he first binds a strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever's not against whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you every sin. Then he goes into this. So it's in the context of them saying he's doing the works of God by the spirit, by Satan or by Beelzebub. Um, because they said in verse 24, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. So for me, the issue of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is calling the works of God the works of Satan. But do you think that it has to be through speaking? Because that was the question, was um, blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit it is restricted to spoken words? Because yeah. it says... Because it speaks against the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So it, basically this is saying, this is taking out any other any other uh, way of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, is basically what this question is saying. Yeah. Like, is there any other way other than speaking against the Holy Spirit to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? I don't think the scripture records it. Um, I think it has to be speaking against the Holy Spirit because that's what it says in 32. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that would say it was evident that Jesus was doing the works of God. Mm -hmm. But yet they were saying he was doing works of Satan. Yeah. Now, is that meaning that when somebody speaks in tongues and somebody says, I don't know if they're really doing it or not. I don't know if tongues is real. I personally don't think that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh -uh. I really don't. I think you have to be cautious. And I think you could be grieving the Holy Spirit in a lot of ways. I think you have to be extremely cautious. Like for me, as as much as I love to hear somebody like a John MacArthur preach and teach, because I think he is a great like historian, contextualization. I think he does a really good job with text. Um, he's very informative. But then his work on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But in his case, I don't think like they're trying to interpret the text. I think they're misinterpreting the text based upon when the perfect has come. Because in First Corinthians, when he says that, when the perfect has come, well, they're also saying if tongues and prophecy has ceased, so has knowledge. Mm -hmm. Because those three are right there together. 
And the reason I bring that up is not to chase a rabbit. It's to bring an example. They're trying to interpret text. Are they interpreting it wrong? I believe so, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I don't think their heart is wicked behind it. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think their heart's wicked. I think that we're just not interpreting the text right. And because we misinterpret text, we're misinterpreting the works of the Spirit. The Pharisees and the Sadducees right here, their hearts were wicked. Mm-hmm. And they were literally saying, even though they saw Jesus doing the works of God right before their eyes, he's only doing this by the spirit of Beelzebub or by Beelzebub. And to me, I think it's a whole nother culmination of blasphemy. And Jesus basically said, you can say whatever, what, whatever you want against me, but the Holy Spirit is there to conform you into me, to reveal me to you, re- bring to remembrance all things, teach you all things. And if you start mouthing him, then I think that's the problem. Now, do I think there's this like cookie cutter thing that it's just you've said too much, now you bless me? I don't I, I don't know how to give that answer. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Um we just have this as our example. And so but I think you should be very cautious to say things that are evident evidently God. Now, these things we're trying to discern. I don't think that's the case. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to discern something and you feel like, I don't know if they're really speaking in tongues or if they're just emotional or if this is happening. If you're trying to discern something and you're trying the spirits and testing them, I think there's a different kind of leeway there mm-hmm. if your heart's right. But if you are just like these Pharisees and Sadducees who claim to know God, who claim to speak on behalf of God, mm-hmm. and is sitting there seeing and I mean, they're even understanding because if you remember, Nicodemus said, we know these works you're doing is from God. Mm-hmm. Like they know it. But yet they told basically in front of everybody, he's only casting out demons by Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, Yeah. Well, my mind just goes to the ones that pract- like that say that they are practicing or being led by the Holy Spirit and say that they, you know, they're, I guess like prophesying comes to yeah. my mind. Like, what would you say about that? Like, prophesying, but in a completely not by the Holy Spirit. I would say... Or people that are, like, actually mixing, like, they're actually practicing witchcraft and th- and they're into some things they shouldn't be in, but then they're still trying to operate in spiritual gifts. Yeah. Because I have heard testimonies, and I would have to look at in Scripture to see if I see any examples of this, but I have heard testimonies of like people who are witches and things like that, like practicing these things and that the Lord has literally like used, you know, men of God or whoever to say like, or like a preacher to say there's someone in here who, who is a witch and like the, the Lord, he's not going to just keep standing for it. Mm -hmm. Like you need to repent now. Like basically saying like, you know, and I would need to look at, you know, examples in scripture, but I've heard testimonies of people who were in like serving the enemy, but still like in the house of the Lord trying to play both sides and that the Lord literally has given them a warning of like, repent now and stop or your time is short. I think that would be, he's his spirits and always strive over man Mm -hmm. that his patience will run out. The reason I'm hesitant to put the blasphemy of the Holy spirit on that is I've seen where people like that have been born again. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say that's unforgivable because this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unforgivable and there is yeah, no Yeah, and that's where I kind of was thinking of it because in this, like it's actually, 
It's the people who are speaking against the Holy Spirit. And in that situation, those people are, they're deceived and they're kind of, they're not really serving yeah. the Lord. But these people kind of were, in a sense. Now, not really, but I mean, these people who were saying like these priests and the those who seemingly had religious mm-hmm. training and religious ordination somehow, some way, they're the ones that have even said earlier. I mean, I don't think Nicodemus make mistakes. Like we know that the works you're doing is from God. Like we hear these kind of sayings a lot, like throughout the gospels, like they really do understand. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't cast, no one's ever cast out a demon before. Yeah. So this has to be from God and they know it, but yet they will not meet it. And they, they started to work proactively against the Holy Spirit, even though they knew. Mm. To me, that's almost like a, to me, that's getting close to what Hebrews would say is somebody who's partook, tasted all these things and yet fell away. There's no possibility of renewing them again in repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very difficult situation. And this is why we're kind of piecing things together. Because again, it would have been easier if Jesus said, this is point A. If you say these words right here, you will never go to heaven. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but... We just see this example, and then we see where he says that in the context of what he just said up there. But again, at the end of the day, it's going to be, for me, I guess you could even say, uh, Joey Sasha, I heard, I had heard a teaching that is a constant blasphemy, just not a one-time thing. Um, I've heard that teaching too, and I'm... I would have to think about that some more. Mm-hmm. I would have to think. I'm not. I'd have to look at that. Um, he said through the translation from Greek. I have heard it taught that it's those who die rejecting Jesus. That once you die rejecting Jesus, there's never a possibility of forgiveness. And that's kind of how I was taught growing up. But my view has changed a little bit. Um, But I'd have to look at that again. Um, Gary Cox says to deny the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think all these are true. Even even probably what Joey's saying a little bit to an extent too, I would believe it, there's even probably some truth in that, but it's just a tricky situation that I'm trying to be cautious because I don't want to make a statement that I have to come back and repent for later on because mm-hmm. um, it's embarrassing when you have to come and recant and say I messed up something because I've done it too many times already. Um, but for me, like Ananias and Sapphira, Maybe a close one. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Well, they lied to the Holy Spirit, but yet Satan had filled their heart. And they were working actively against the Holy Spirit. They were trying to deceive the Holy Spirit. In a sense, they were blaspheming to an extent. Like they were making a mockery of it. They were they were lying straight to the Holy Spirit and Satan had filled their heart. But I'm not but I, even there I'm hesitant to say they blasphemed the Holy Ghost. But they did die right after they did it. So, um, and I don't know if Ananias and Sapphira, I don't think they went to heaven. No. Mm-hmm. Some people argue they did, and that was Lord's mercy taking them out so they would not continue to sin. And that's this, that was a sin unto death. But I don't know if I can get there too. So it's like, these are really hard questions. And um, I've heard a lot of people teach it. And I wish I could teach with more authority on it, like where there's not a I believe or I see. But it's like we have been taught so many wrong things that when we teach stuff like this, we're trying to work through what's right 
and what's wrong. And there's a point, and I know it sounds, this is going to sound really bad. There's a point that sometimes there's almost like this, um, I don't use the word jealousy, but like this thing of me that's saying, you know, people who get born again has never read, they've never been like taught the Bible before they get born again and they just dive into the Bible and they're seeing stuff we've never seen because we bring so much of the bad teaching from the past into it. Like they get a fresh eyes. And even myself, sometimes I, I try to sit back and say, Lord, just kind of clear my brain for a minute. I want to mm-hmm. just, I want to read this text in an unsubjective manner. Like, cause I'm bringing everything I've ever learned. Now I don't, I don't want to say just cause I want my kids to grow up and I want them, I want them to know the word, but I want to know the word in the right way. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have all the religious bondage and the jargon. But uh, Joey says, what I said can be taken too vague. If I knew how to type it deeper, he would. Um, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough teaching. They denied their own self, Ananias. Um, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And I we can, let's just answer the question blatantly say, I think it's done with the mouth. I think you have to speak against the Holy Spirit somehow. But I don't know. <laughs> That's really hard. I feel like I'm babbling. I'm not I babbling. Think, I'm just trying to think. I think the question. Um, yep, but but the, it is definitely hard to find examples of today. Yes. That's the thing that's hard. I do I do believe that it is spoken words yeah. to the Holy Spirit. Is that that is what that, it, this is saying blasphemy is. But it is, it's really hard because I've tried to rack my brain and you know, see situations that would be considered that just to be able to look out for them, you know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I know. But I mean, here he does say, whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Um, so I I believe it is speaking like, cause that's what Matthew says. And they basically denied the Holy Spirit is what they did because they were saying it was, it was, it was demonic. Yeah. It was basically saying that God is not God. And the spirit isn't the spirit. It's demonic. Yeah. Um, one is saying it's still in the heart. Like, I get what that's being said, but Jesus actually doesn't say that there. He says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever mm-hmm. speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, does your does your heart have to come into agreement? Like, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So... If if you have blasphemous things in your mouth, in your heart, it's coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. But Jesus here specifically, I'm just going off what Scripture says, says it's whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, that's a whole other question. We're not going <laughs> to. Mm-hmm. There's so many things we can get into on this. Um, but and they, I know this, we did answer the question, though. Cause I feel like I babble forever, though. It's definitely spoken. I feel like I babble because there's so much about this that I don't know. And I'm trying to work through because I'm trying to filter what I believe, in my opinion, what I can say as scripture. Mm-hmm. And, it's a uh, hard to actually ex- go deeper into it. It's a hard one. Yeah. But I think that is helpful, at least to know that it is a spoken word. So now I did when I was in Africa, I was preaching the gospel on the street to to the merchants, the the store owners and stuff like that. After the every evening, every evening we was over there. After they shut down their booths and their things, because they didn't, they didn't stay open at night. Like you know, like America stays open, they don't. Um, and so in the evening, usually about thirty or forty-five minutes before dark, they start to shut up, shut their businesses down, and they would, um, they would come up and we would preach the gospel to them, and we were seeing a lot of them give their heart to Jesus. 
Well, one night when I was preaching, I looked back in the security guard in the bank because they have a security guard that stands outside the bank all night long. He was crying. And I walked up to him and said, Sir, do you want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and surrender your life kind of deal? And he said, Oh, I want to, but I blaspheme the Holy Ghost. A preacher there in Africa told him he blasphemed the Holy Ghost and can never be saved. And he was sitting there weeping because he wanted to be saved. Let me just tell you this. If your heart is crying out to meet Jesus, you've never blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You just haven't done it. Because that's the Spirit of God drawing you at this point. I want to pray, I want to go behind everything we just said and said that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, I think, very difficult to do and very rare. It's like apostasy. I don't think it happens every day. And I don't think it happens just because you said, well, somebody, I don't think that person's tongue was real. Like, or... I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know if that person is really anointed or not. Like, I don't, you need to repent of that saying, and especially if they're wrong and you have a bad heart about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think every word that you say is going to be that. Now, if, if God moved on your life and healed you miraculously of cancer, and then a year later you start to say, that wasn't God, that was a demon who healed me, but it was really God and you knew it was God. Now I think you're walking on this fine line and territory. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it does happen. It's just probably not happening around us where we could see it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but I, I, I like that you mentioned that testimony because that's really good. How can the Spirit of God be drawing us if we've already offended and blasphemed the Holy Spirit? To the extent you never be. The Holy you. Spirit wouldn't be drawing us if. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the few people that I have met or I've been around or heard personal testimonies about who blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Honestly, to be honest with you, they they died shortly after. Just to be honest with you, like there was not much anything else. But uh, we are going to a break. We're going to be right back here with more on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. <laughs> 